If a successful colonization is to divide and conquer, an answer to that has to be reconnecting the pieces they are trying to divide. This podcast attempts to hold space to connect the pieces of Palestinian society because it is a dissolution of Palestine across the world that calls for spaces to reassemble the people. So, grab a cup of shai or kahwa, and let's have a conversation. This is Connecting the Fragments. and I am having a conversation with the hilariously talented Muna, a global comedian and scholar in her own right. Today, we are talking about what it means to be fragmented, to travel the world as Palestinian, and the different ways we learn to connect to our own forms of expression as a means of healing. We will situate this conversation in the grander themes of the show with existence, resistance, and overall fragmentation. Welcome, Muna. How are you today? Alhamdulillah, I'm awesome. Yay. I live in Chicago. I'm alive. I have, as my dad would say, Wi-Fi. We have water. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what is there to complain about? Alhamdulillah. I love it. So, I know you. But for the sake of those who are listening to us talk right now, do you want to tell me a little bit about yourself? My name is Muna Muhammad Abdurrahman Muhammad Shahada Abermashan al Qaraja. So, when you say your whole name, your name is your identity. And what's beautiful is that I'm saying all of those names with such excavation and knowledge of self. I know <laughs> when I say Mona Muhammad, Muhammad's my dad's name, which is our, if you're in our culture, you end up your middle name is your dad's name. You're the weird one at school that's got a boy's name. Cool, cool. Yes. So I know him very well. I know Abdurrahman, my grandfather, he passed. Alayhamu. I knew him, that little son of a bitch. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, he knows. Oh, he's in heaven, but he knows what he did. <laughs> um, then you got Muhammad Shada. He's my great grandfather. I don't know him, but you know he he clearly was getting it in because there's a lot of us all over back home. So he was getting it in. And then Abermashan is our family name. And then Al Qaraja is the tribe, the larger tribal name. I know all those dingbats. They, whether they whether they're over there or over here, they're always following me. That's just all in my name. And that probably took, what, three minutes to explain who I am is, uh, I'm again, I'm a Chicagoan. My mom is English descent, but really her, so my grandmother on my mother's side came here after World War II, fell in love with a GI. And my grandfather is a GI, he died when my mom was 17 in small town America. So uh, in essence, I am the immigrant Palestinian story. I am the, um, the British post-war a immigrant for love story moving to a small town where she my grandmother was the big immigrant on the block because she was from the UK and I'm also the the American GI my my grandfather's line goes all the way back to the sisters of the revolution to the revolutionary war so my blood is through and through American that that side <laughs> my grandfather's side ends up going into a last name called Whiteside I mean it gets really fucking white at some point I'm like hey all right ancestry.com let's just turn the boat around it's getting, it's getting a little <laughs> too white it's getting a little too white so let's just come on so I, I am the, the, the globe. I've, I've been really, really blessed to have uh, been born in a family of massive pain, but massive possibility. My mother was an accountant. She comes from small town America. She's an only child. She moved here and she's your baby boomer, born 1950, baby boomer generation. 
Um, but also the, the kind of generous work that my mother is committed to makes sense that she married my father, who is currently now head of a nonprofit organization in Bridgeview called the United Holy Land Fund, which started in 68. And his sojourn or his journey here is that of, of a young Palestinian, 19, who on TV saw during the civil rights movement, holy cow, like the American black is standing up for their rights. I need to go to that land being a Palestinian boy living at the beginning of, of, not the beginning, but like really the height of some major occupation, like the what was going on in 67, 68, and 69 in, in Palestine, it would make anyone and would run. And when he was blessed enough to get an opportunity to come to the United States over Russia, over Cuba, so he because he wanted to go to Cali and be like, I don't know, a surfer dude. <laughs> just, I think my dad was intending on being a hippie, but he landed in Chicago in January of, of 71, and all of the the all of the, the all of the other Palestinians were like, "Habibi, stay here. We'll take care of you. You'll have somewhere to live. We can help you get education." He's like, "That's fine." Because I say, "Dead? Why? 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 Chicago? Why? Well, all the fucking places, dude. Why? You, we we could have had some, you know, like son." And he's like, "No, Mona. I wouldn't have met your mother. Remember that?" I'm like, "All right, you're right." So <laughs> the two of them uh, found each other at Pita Inn of all places. My dad was the cook, and my mom uh, came in. So, so my dad, uh, my my dad was working. He just saw obviously her. What what it was is that my mom, she took my her roommate, and they kept going back to the Mediterranean house. And my dad's probably thinking, yeah, that's what's up, lady. I see you coming back. You want some of this? You want some of this nice warm bread with you later? And oh, I don't. You know what? Stop. No, no, stop. You're going to you're getting you're getting too close to the fire now. <laughs> my dad having awesome pickup lines. Anyway. My dad sees her come again, and she's and my dad's extremely friendly guy. So they start talking, and then my mom always says that he wanted um, her roommate's number and took her roommate's number, but my mom was home that night when he called. But you know what? Who knows the truth? Because this was pre-I can stalk you on Instagram and get to know you. This is pre-all that. Like, I mean, she, he might have had to fuck around looking at a phone book for her number. That's how old school this was. So it's yeah. a cute story, and... Um, that's why I'm here. I love <laughs> it. I love it. That's such a sweet story. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. So I'm just going to dive right into my next question. So I feel like your comedy allows for a unique approach to understanding and unpacking the way humans are conditioned by oppression. How has your comedy allowed you to understand and unpack your own oppression as a Palestinian woman? That's really good. Um, that's like such a great question and such perfect timing because I don't think I could have answered this question maybe even yesterday. You know, those of us that are oppressed, and it could be a Palestinian, it could be overweight woman living in Kansas. It could be somebody from Catalan, Spain, or the Quebecois still in, in Canada or a Hawaiian. When you're oppressed, you're under a pressure cooker. There's no room for giving up and bowing out for very long. So it's kind of like holding down a beach ball. When you hold down a beach ball, it only builds up more and more inertia. The further down you're going to push this thing into the water, the more fervor it's going to build. And that's what I think it is to be Palestinian, first and foremost. But to be Palestinian-American is true bipolar fucking disorder because you're also the one pushing down the beach ball. So if you can really allow your Palestinian determination to supersede the American entitled push pushing people down for self for, for self you can actually you can see something so beautifully and so powerful about why you are where you are what you are doing 
and why what you're doing is actually serving greater humanity. I think the luckiest human beings on this planet today have some DNA in them that's Palestinian and they know it and they say it because this beach ball that's been pushed down for almost 80 years, when that motherfucking geyser pops, it's going to be like someone unleashed butterflies globally. That's what I, with the amount of blessings I've been given because I'm fucking Palestinian and because I've been the first Palestinian in whatever room I'm in. What is it to be a Palestinian and have comedy? It's in my DNA. I couldn't help it. What is it, what is it like being half British? Half English. It's so Thank amazing you. because I have, when I go up to, to visit my family up there, mm-hmm. and I don't mean that they're Arab in Britain, so that they're Arab with British accents. They're straight up British. My grandmother and my British side really gave me what class looks like. It gives me, you know, opulence, royalty. There's, there is that. And within Palestinian, it gives me that like smart ass run in my mouth. And then if you want, you can go as far back as my town it has like really old ancestral pre-Jesus, pre any of the prophets. My, my dad's town is older than Judaism. That's how old that town is. So you, it's hard to impress these guys. So if I'm like, hey, how are you doing? What has, I don't say how to be like, so I'd be out of school. What did you bring me? They don't give a fuck that I traveled all over the world. Like, like one of them, TG said to Jay, you coming next year, like, la, Baghdadish, and the Aish, I'm gonna be living a happy year in Almania, in Germany. Like, they're so fucking arrogant that they got the tomb of Abraham, basically God, down the street. They don't have any reason. Like, why would I go to Germany? Uh, that kind of combo has been really, again, you can have bipolar disorder, but having the British side, having, and that I know really well, it's not like, oh my God, like, ancestry DNA said that I'm part British. No, my fucking asshole ass uncle said I'm part British. I know I'm British. My American side and my Arab side, it's like having tripolar disorder, and it's taken me a long time to really know, accept, and, and recreate myself as safely and really feeling safe in my femininity, feeling safe in my, my mouth. And it's all, it's been a creation from being here, but also there. All of the Palestinians that have not gone to Palestine, what you're looking for right now, right now, if you in Palestine, that's what you're looking for. Get a fucking ticket and end up in bumfuck Ramallah, go into a store and speak Arabic and English and realize, oh my God, I make sense. That's what you're looking for. (laughs) You know, it's so funny. So I grew up and I had never been to Palestine. And every time I wanted to go or like my family wanted to take, my mom freaked out and wouldn't let me go. So I never got the chance of like growing up, going back home during the summers like everybody else. I did that last year for the first time. Isn't that amazing? And I went by myself completely. I had no one to go with me. And I was like, I don't care. That's Ew. not going to stop me. So I Gangster traveled by myself. And um, it was everything I had been searching for for yeah. like my whole life. I it was, it was just like, like I went to Ireland. I did a week in Ireland and then a week in Palestine. I was like, I'm going to go to both of my lands. And Ireland good felt Ireland felt good. Palestine felt like home. Yeah. And there's no other feeling for it. I don't know how to explain the feeling. You just have to go to understand yeah. like how you belong there. It was weird. It was like the the weirdest like homecoming because you just know like, okay, this is it. This is yeah. what you've been searching for your whole life. That feeling. That leads me to my next question. So one of the main things that I focus on in my work is fragmentation. How the Palestinian experience is so diverse because of being fragmented and dispersed worldwide, right? Right. And each fragment's experience is unique unto itself. Talk to me about the fragment you feel like you fall into. 
I the fragment I fall into is so let's throw this down. I I was born in Chicago, right? My mom wasn't born in Chicago. My father wasn't born in Chicago, but I was. So there you go. Now, right away, I've got a geography geography fragmentation. I'm a Chicago, and that means this. When my father, Muhammad and my mother, Judy, when they go to bed at night, do they need the sound of Addison Street and a semi? And Do they need that to, to fall asleep quietly? No, I do. My mother lives somewhere by a train station. It drives her crazy. Me, I'd be like, I love it. Because why? I was born in Chicago. She wasn't. She's born in a small town. Her vibration is set to a certain geography. My vibration is set here. So there's one just fragmentation. Number two, when you've got the, um, my Palestinian-ness, where do you think that came from? That came from language that was brought over that was a stop, that stopped conversation in 1971. Yanni, when I showed up in 79 and my Palestinian-ness was built off of an infrastructure that stopped growing in 71, it would be like, in, in South Africa, they speak Afrikaans. Afrikaans is just stunted Dutch. It's stunted Dutch growth. So Afrikaans evolved into its own thing, but it's basically a 17th and 18th century Dutch that hadn't evolved except for its own thing. So the Palestinian-American uh, culture is a unique creation. So when I was a young person going back to Palestine, I'm like, yeah, dude, they're more progressive than you are, bro. You're telling me don't do this and do this. Like my cousins are fucking out there doing that shit. Like, which one is it? So we've had to really create what our culture is. Number three, my my mother, I'm a female. My mother is an American woman that's blonde hair, blue eyes. So my fragmentation of my femininity looks like what? Okay. She's a white woman born as a baby boomer. So all intents and purposes, she should have been involved in the hippie generation and the sex movement and the gay liberation and the and the every kind of fucking ism that you could come up with through the 60s and then you put that to a conservative palestinian who was just trying to figure it out well in our home it was extremely conservative my mom had converted to islam so there's that i'm i'm a natural born con muslim she's a convert and she she's like dude this makes total sense and this is pre-9-11 right this is this is before it turned into isis land this is before all that stuff so it was like she said um, islam made sense like if i you pray five times a day which makes sense you know you can only get so much trouble before you have to go meditate five times a day okay there's only one god muhammad is his prophet pretty, pretty cool makes sense that that's my mom converted to that but she didn't look like me she didn't have the kind of weird pain and trauma and temper like me so my femininity she didn't really like hey honey you're a little brown palestinian girl we're going to have to sit here and figure out what we're going to do with that little mustache you got growing in here at honey at 10 years old. We're going to all have to figure out what's going on with that. Um, well, I don't know. If it, is, it, is it an afro? Is it just crazy curls? We're going to have to figure out what to do with your hair. Nah, she was a baby when was at fucking work all day. So I had to figure out because I'm an 80s kid in America. I had a latchkey. I had to teach myself how to grow up. So I grew up with, with my fragmented identity coming through the television. So why do I watch so much Friends? Because the show Friends somehow, all, of all those characters you put into one person, that's Monas. And all of that is because my 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 leadership, my my mentors, they're, they're, they were lacking. They weren't there. So I've had to figure this all out. I'm a Muslim girl before there were Muslim schools. My cousins have it. I didn't have that. I was on the north side. I didn't have shit. It's like, hey, I was lucky enough to be born in, and raised in a community that was the most diverse school in the nation. So I know the difference between Serbian, Croatian, Bosnian, uh, Vietnamese, Laos, Lak, Ghanaian. Jewish, Sephardic Jew, Hasidic Jew, because all those motherfuckers were in my school. So I get the world. So my, my identity is global identity that I've had to piecemeal it through whatever evidence I could pick up because no one was at home sitting and mentoring me because everyone was out busy making fucking money so that we could survive. 
So being someone who travels the world as much as you do, right, and as much mm. as you have, especially with the work that you did in South Africa, which we haven't really gotten into, how do you view Palestinian fragmentation? Do you think it's, and I feel like you did say you, you think, you know, being Palestinian is, is unique in its own right, but what about it do you think makes it unique? The way I look at it, the way I, I look at Palestinianism is I look at what are you doing with your superpower? Has this superpower overwhelmed you? Are you denying your superpower? Are you embracing your superpower? Are you bitching about, oh, I have a superpower? Or are you channeling your superpower to impact the globe? Otherwise, you wouldn't be born so lucky. So being born Palestinian is being born with a superpower. Yep. Love it. Just to reiterate, how do you view Palestinian fragmentation? Like, What do you see when you think of Palestinian fragmentation? I, I see that we because we don't have because we don't have a homeland that we can all go home to because there is still trauma going on it within the homeland. It feels like we have an open wound and everyone knows it and everyone's talking about it and we're, we're bandaging it up and we're doing the best we can. Um, but we're all just so hoping it's going to heal and we're excited for what that healing could look like. But we know. Because it's been so long with this open wound, it has to be done right. Otherwise, we will have to attend to this wound or like a, like a fucking cavity. If we don't do it right, then it's going to be a root canal. We have to do this right. I think your experience is really beautiful. Um, the way that you approach healing through laughter and comedy is really beautiful. What is it like to do a comedy show on Palestine? What are the hard parts of it? What are the surprising parts? And what are the healing parts? Hmm. To perform in Palestine is so beautiful because it's so, it's so a yes. It's so a, do you know what it's like to live inside of an always yes? When I go and I have to go through Tel Aviv and the, the Israelis put you in that VIP room where you have to wait, I'm the only one in there that's, that knows and is so happy to be there because first off, they've got the best Wi-Fi signal in there so I can get a lot more work done. And second, when I do go in to talk to the Israeli guard, do you know what it's like to have an Israeli guard change their energy as soon as you say what you do? Oh, why are you here and you come to Israel? I'm like, I'm a comedian. Oh, really? Like, they totally change themselves. <laughs> it's a, a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's the best to tell people you're a comic, especially when you sound like an asshole Chicago comic, right? And then one guy was like, oh, wow. I'm like, yeah, you should, I'm, we're going to be performing in Jerusalem. You should come. Oh, I, you know what it's like to invite an Israeli to it to anything? Like, hey, you want to come to a, a comedy show? There's, they, I think I made his ass sweaty just by asking. Because he's so bad, we only wanted to go. I'm sure his balls were itchy. He's like, fuck, I want to go. I want to take my girlfriend. I want to do some cool Israeli shit and, like, hang out and be like, yeah, broken film or whatever the fuck. I want to go to a comedy show, but I can't, even though, fuck, I want to go. Like, see, we should be doing that. We should be offering cool parties on the other side of the wall to Israelis. And they're like, man. God, I wish you could go fucking do that cool thing in Palestine. But no, I got to sit here and be Israeli. We should make <laughs> our side of the wall the coolest fucking party. And they're going to be like, oh, man. No, remember you wanted the wall? Remember? Remember that one time you wanted the wall? Whatever. Bye, bitch. Like, they can't keep that shit out. We fucking have our own party, right? Okay. That kind of crap is what it's like to be Palestinian on tour as a comedian within this conversation. I, it's so beautiful. It's so fucking beautiful. Because everybody speaks Arabic and English. English is basically like the third official language, but it's so because of globally, because we're the Tower of fucking Babel right now. It's English. Being there, picking up information, connecting with the, you know, the store clerk owners, with your cousins, with whatever, 
It makes me feel like I'm in heaven. It makes me, and you have the best shawarma, but at times I really do miss my American side. So like, I'll get a shawarma and I'm like, man, I could really go for some mashed potatoes right now. I don't know why. It's just freaking how I am, you know, like, or like falafel with like some fried jumbo, sh- um, jumbo shrimp in there or some gumbo. I mean, when, when the Americans start coming through to Palestine, they haven't seen shit yet. When we start getting there with our Mexican restaurants and all our fucking Italian gelato ice cream. The world has not seen what Palestine is going to be. It's going to be fucking epic. You thought South Africa's a rainbow nation. What Palestine's going to be when it's free is going to be so cool. Being able to, to be there and feel safe and create in the art is awesome. But the, also it comes with like the, the turf of like, how do you actually make this profitable? Because there's a lot of stuff that goes on in Palestine where it's almost so charity based. You're kind of like, dude, so there's the economics that still need to be flushed and, and like really made stronger. There's a lot of opportunity for investment and growth within Palestine. Like they need an entertainment industry, real talk. They need it. And I really want to be involved in building that. How do you feel your comedy helps you live as Palestinian? Do you see it as a performance of identity uh, politics or do you see it as something else? Yeah, it's my lifeline. It's what keeps me alive. If I didn't do comedy, I'd be dead by now. Yeah, it saved my life. That comedy and prayer are the only reason I'm alive. The hunger of being a Palestinian and the pride you don't give up. We don't have the luxury of committing suicide. So if it wasn't for my faith, the guilt within me was, was becoming so overwhelming that's the pressure of what could I do? I couldn't complete a thought at times because I was so consumed with how can I fix this? Palestinian Americans are born with, we are Americans who are prideful in being able to be the superheroes of the world. And the number one problem in the world is our other half of our identity. You've given yourself an ultimate puzzle piece, which is trying to unlock your own DNA, you know? So thank God I was overwhelmed with that. Other, and, and the only vessel I could find was comedy. And I trusted my family. I loved my family enough where they pushed me into this shit. But the, the trauma within my DNA and the trauma of in this particular lifetime, if I had gone into comedy, which gave me the strength and the respect within my community to open my mouth. And now it's like, okay, well, what do I have to say? And I, I stayed quiet for so long observing. And now, but let's really start. The biggest thing in our community is we need to start communicating more. We're not talking enough. And why your podcast is truly going to change the map. Because you're interviewing people who have, and you're, you create such an open, safe container that watch, watch, you're creating legendary conversations right now. So sweet. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> why I am doing the work that I'm doing is to have the conversations that like we don't have, we, we hide from. We hide from the yeah. realness of it. And that is why I asked the question that I asked about how does how does your comedy, how does comedy help you live as Palestinian? And it really, honestly, what your auntie told me was it allows you to just say the shit yeah. that no one else is willing to say. That yeah. everyone is so uh, yeah. scared I found of. a microphone that I could say it in the way and style so they could hear me. Allah and my spirituality has gotten me to really honor this re- this beautiful luxury item called freedom of speech. You know, the comedy is not, is not something to be taken lightly. I know my fellow Egyptian comedian, Ahmed Ahmed, is banned from Egypt. He's Egyptian. Because you say one, one wrong thing. Like one person on the, on a stage with a microphone with just their thoughts in parts of the world, most of the world, it's only now becoming less tyrannical. You, we have to honor that comedy is this new booming philosophy, global conversation and self-expression. And people want to talk, you know, with the, whether it was the economic crash of 2008 that has sent 
really intelligent people into figuring out what to do. People are gravitating towards that mic because the cost of entry into comedy is zero. So you have powerful people that are intelligent, that don't have money. They're going to go to the microphone and they're start. That's why you have so much comedy coming around the world. It's all over the place because people need to heal. People need to, when you're laughing, you're listening. When you're laughing, you're releasing. I mean, whether it's the ha 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 vibration or it's the crying vibration, it's still a release valve. So you're seeing with all that pain that was going on in the world, you're going to see so much laughter and love as a result because people are itching to speak, create, 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 create. And, and there's a lot of, um, a lot of us Palestinians that are in the creative arts, which is epic. It's epic, not to mention the rest of the globe. So for me, I've been blessed enough that comedy has allowed me to access my voice. My, my, I'm like the queen of the throat chakra. I, I teach comedy so that people can be fully self-expressed. And then I work on all the other chakras. I work on all the other parts of the body because when you're really tapping into the human, you've tapped into the most amazing machinery that we're still trying to figure out. So that's, this is an exploration in self. This is an exploration in my, in my greatness and in my servitude of other to the point where I've gotten where I'm almost had to shed my Palestinianness to be of service to the Palestinians because I have to be able to see it as being out and inside within the culture. Otherwise, we are the most, the most globalized, aware, know, everyone knows the most gratified, satisfied victim. We are entitled victims. So <laughs> I had to get out of being a victim to help deconstruct the victimness. And I believe it's, it's through comedy. I want to ask, what would you say is the difference in experiences between living as Palestinian in Palestine at, versus living as Palestinian anywhere else? And for you, I ask anywhere else because you are global. You have been in South Africa, Germany, England, you know, here in the States, all over the States. You, you have gone on tours everywhere. So what does it mean to be living as Palestinian in Palestine versus living as Palestinian anywhere else? It's the feeling, you know, that feeling at the end of the day where you put your phone on the charger. Mm, yeah. It's, it's that, that the phone is turned over. It's got alarm set. It's charging all as well. That's how it feels when Mona is in Palestine. And when Mona is in Chicago, it's the same all as well. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I've had to work so that I know that wherever Mona is, she's always feeling like that. But it started from that performance that I did in Ramallah, where all of my identities all blasted into one. Wow. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Being able to tell jokes in Habisa, in Arabic and English, where the punchline could be in Arabic and the setup could be in English, but we're talking about heavier shit. That, that changed my life when I was able to perform. So I think Amr Zahar, if anyone's listening, please check Amr Zahar out. Because if it wasn't for him believing and seeing something in me and me living into that, which he saw, and then some, I would have never found myself through that, that first time I performed in Ramallah. My life changed like so many components, one scene, it, it's going to be movies. I'm sure of it mm-hmm. to find yourself, man, to find, find yourself, to be able to um, drive a stick shift car through Ramallah or the checkpoint get to Jerusalem, drive through there, get over to Khalil, get and visit my family, pull over and buy a box of grapes and, and pay in Arabic and then do what my dad would have done 
is I know, like I know, like I know, like I know, like I know how Palestinian I am because of those kinds of behaviors. Like land, rent a car, go through, talk some shit, make fun of the neighbors, buy the carton or run it, go for a walk with my cousins. You know, I am the next generation and that part of the world is also home to me. It's frustrating because sometimes I just want to go to Mariano's and get meat in one fucking grocery store. I don't want to go to this place and go to the soup to get the meat or Mishada fish. Like, I bitch about like, oh, I want to make spaghetti, but I got to go to the butcher to get meat. I don't want to talk about him and his fucking, you know, how's his leg doing? I'm all, okay, I'll let, you know, the salama from your search. That kind of, sometimes I'm like, ugh, you know, but even in those minuscule bitching, you, you stop idealizing the homeland because you're in it. What does being Palestinian mean to you? The first thing, it means the colors of the flag. That's the first thing that pops up. It means the hatha, you know, the kafiyya. It means the truest, the truest sense of liberation, of faith. Being Palestinian means having faith. You know, if, if aliens were to land on this planet and they came knocking on the door and they said, we are here to understand you humans. <laughs> I don't know if they would talk like that, but, or if they're like, ciao, tutu bene. I don't know what, how, how that would show up. <laughs> but if an alien came and said, help me understand humanity, I would sit them down. And I would tell them the story of Palestine because it's going to encapsulate all the major movements throughout human history in search of itself, in search of the skies. You know, outside of, let's say, some of the major huge civilizations, the modern day civilization right now, its underpinning is the Palestinian cause. So it's the it's kind of like when you you can diagnose the patient based on its greatest infection. Right. So really understanding humanity based on the Palestinian cause would be where I would start. So being Palestinian means identifying with Native Americans. It means identifying with former slaves, Black Americans. I've had access to the to the world that when my Americanness at one phase in, in history didn't work, I always switched to my Palestinianness. And being Palestinian means legitimacy. It's so Cool though. When I'm in when I'm in the UK and the Brits, they're like they talk to me because of how I sound, like I'm a dumb American because of how I sound. But when I say hey, 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 yeah, so remember I'm fucking Palestinian. Watch your fucking tone, all right? They're like, oh shit, she's right, she's Palestinian and she's Muslim. Her Americanness isn't her her only thing. So I think it's a it's a you know like they say in a black culture like you get a black card like hey you know so and so dating so and so maybe they they lost their black card or whatever. Mm -hmm. We have. I'd say Palestinian, we have a green card. I know that's silly in the metaphor sense because most of us are, well, actually, most of us are only here because our parents got green card, you know? Right. But it really is. It's, it's a beautiful green card of, I see my, I see your struggle and, and living an example of said struggle. Let's see how we can fuck with each other to, to be of service to either each other or in laughter or in like, it's, it's the equalizer. Being Palestinian is like, this equalizer. So now, back then, it was like I had to explain what it meant. But now, it's it's so beautiful that I'm almost at awe at just watching the wave of youth now take on. What is this going to look like? What are you committed to globally? Because you're if you're born as a Palestinian in America, enjoy it. Because I think the Palestinian has shown others that life could be worse. Yeah. Right. It's always with me. Life could actually be way worse, Mona. It's beautiful context. 
and honoring that context and us going back home and spending time, you know, even if the na- you go to the fucking local store and your neighbor's there and he works at the store and he's, you know, he's hustling you, but making you spend more money on this fucking, you know, I don't know, external drive. You're like, dude, 80, come on, 80 bucks, bro. I could have got that shit cheaper. I don't know. Haggling with him, giving him a rough time, but also patronizing the system so that the economy is richer yeah. is beautiful. Let's, let's get the Palestinians business. They're, they're, they're right there. They're a workforce ready to work. Now that they have the internet and they're ready to work, let's give these Palestinian educated folks in Ramallah and Batunia and Tulkaram, wherever, get to know them. They're all, you know, we have ways of patronizing that, that entity now much more powerfully than we had before. So I'm asking them, like, let me teach comedy classes to all the Palestinian universities for free because I'm teaching them self-expression, how to, how to deal with leadership. These are leadership skills I'm teaching. So. I, you know, I'm really excited to what's going to come on the on, on the horizon for the Palestinian conversation. And the Israelis know. Israelis know. You know, the cool thing about being a comedian is we are walking human lie detectors. We, I can tell when you're bullshitting me. Woo! So if I teach more people how to be comedians, then they're always going to feel fully self-expressed and no one can ever fuck with their head. Do you see your comedy as a part of the resistance? Yeah, absolutely. You want to talk to absolutely. me about that? Yeah. My, um, my second tattoo that i got which was on 12 12 12 is a it's a picture of hamdala and if you don't know who hamdala is look him up if you look at the cartoons hamdala you never saw his face and he was always using a very creative weapon but my tattoo the weapon he never i never saw him use was the microphone so i have a picture on uh, on me where the hamdala is thanking the audience you don't see his face and the back of his hand behind him he's holding a microphone and the chord goes down and says, dream bigger. So wherever you're at, dream bigger. And then that, dream bigger. And then that, dream bigger, right? Because that's the weapon of choice. Because when you're making people laugh, you're making them think. And when you're making them think, you're making them remember whatever information you want to say. So, like, to be totally candid with you, right? Totally candid. I'm only just realizing that my journey into understanding comedy is really understanding mass manipulation for good. It's acquiring a massive superpower. The more you understand the brain and how <laughs> how programmable it is, you'll understand that you've been being programmed the whole fucking time from that little box that the Simpsons didn't predict Trump would win. The Simpsons created Trump winning by implementing that in the subconscious decades earlier with their cartoon. So my relationship to the microphone my relationship to entertainment, my relationship to comedy, my relationship to the screen is to free Palestine one lap at a time because I've got into your subconscious as a little digestible, J- Jennifer Lo- Lopez looking, um, badass comedian bitch who could, no one could ever not admit I'm Palestinian when you say Mona Abermashan. I feel like that brings me to my next question really well. Fragmentation means fragmented experiences and fragmented oppression. It also means that how each fragment resists is more specific to that fragment. Could your comedy, which contributes to Palestinian liberation, have occurred under any of the other fragments? Like the other fragments of, of my identity? The other fragments of Palestinians. Thinking, Think like the West Bank. Think a refugee camp. Think anywhere in the Middle East. Think Gaza. Could you, could your comedy have been created, you being a comedian, 
exist under any of the other fragments other than you being born and raised in Chicago. And then nope. having all those experiences. That's the biggest fucking nope ever. <laughs> nope. Why? Why mm-hmm. do you think it had to be Chicago versus growing up in the West Bank or growing up in Gaza or growing up in a refugee camp? Why Chicago? Because comedy is as much of this city's identity and folklore as Michael Jordan, uh, Al Capone, the lake, and, and skyscrapers, and pizza. It's part of the DNA of the city I was born in. Uh, the only thing I could have been, if I was going to stay true to Chicago, the only other thing I could have been is whatever is, is prevalent within Chicago's folklore, architecture, like the way I am and my love, and I was raised to love this city. I mean, I was, I was raised to love this city so much that it, it, it was like I was looking for my outlet and comedy and Chicago are so, it's so enmeshed and in locked that when I get introduced globally, they don't say this comedian all the way from America. They say this comedian from Chicago. I've yeah. got, it's got, it's just like its own country globally. You know, Chicago is like its own magnet in a weird way. Either you love it, it or you hate it. And there is no in between. Like, people either love Chicago or they hate Chicago. And it's always going to give you a strong reaction. Now, this is this might be slightly off topic, but how do you feel that pa- Palestinians are talking and living that resist and ignore the systems of power in place? It might be on topic just because I feel like your comedy does that in a certain way. Do you know what it's like, Rada, to be an Israeli right now? It's getting so ugly. It's like being a South African in 1984. Do you know that? It is not pretty to say, hello, I'm Israeli. The rest of the world's gritting their fucking teeth. Really? Really? You're Israeli? What do you want to talk about? Biotech? Because we're not going to talk about anything airy-fairy and peace because you can't convey to me harmony and peace and fucking yoga and, and, and holistic medicine when you're out there being a fucking occupier. Israelis are going to have a lot to prove. They have a lot. Man, uh, I'm telling you, heavy is the calm that they're wearing right now of justifying why they're still in 2020 out here being a fucking colonizer. It's, I, I wouldn't want to be an Israeli. Oh, my God. I would not want to be an Israeli. Ugh. I, and that's that's me allowing it, right? I'm allowing it. I like how you were like, oh. Because it's so disgusting, bro. Look at it. That you had like it's such a physical reaction to the idea of being Israeli. <laughs> it's a bit, it, isn't it? It's like, it is, it is right now, right now, disgusting. There's that. Number one, number another perspective I didn't get until I went to my best friend Ricky's father's funeral. And I really got this, like someone shot me in my third eye. The Jewish wave of immigration came in different form in different cities. And do you know the Jews that came to Chicago? They came way before the war. They came as entrepreneurs. So the Jewish seeds in this city are built of war veterans. You're talking about Jews that that are way more American than they are Israeli. Remember, the Jews that went to Cali, they're Persian Jews. And then they came over from Europe, and there's a lot of Hollywood European Jews. But more, more than that, a lot of Persian Jews went to Cali. And then the Israeli, the pro-Zionist ones, came to the East Coast, all to the East Coast. But the Midwest, we do have a lot of Jews that are far more American and very much like, dude, kind of, you know, stop taking my identity as a, as a Jew and running it through this Zionist engine. I'm not about that life, son. I'm not about that life. 
So we can't mask and we cannot be putting Zionist masks on all Israelis or sorry, all Jews. We cannot be doing that because we are doing, we are really blinding ourselves if we do. You, if you know Chicago history, when we had the World's Fair, you had a lot of Jews coming over for entrepreneurship. But some of my best friends, their their descendants came back in the late 1800s. They, the war hadn't even, no, you know what I'm saying? That was even, I think, before Zionism, these guys were coming over. So that's the root. Those are the seeds of the friends that you're building that are Jews. It's not that, you know, Israelis came to Chicago. Yes, there are, okay? And they stick out like a bunch of fucking sore thumbs. I did a show for a room full of Israelis. Israeli women, and I'm, and I'm like, and then the organizer said to me, listen, I don't want to tell them that you're Palestinian. I'm like, dude, are you trying to get me killed, bro? We're doing this fucking show in a house, and I'm, I have to stand in front of the fireplace in front of uh, 60 Israelis, not Jews, Israelis, where they're only speaking Hebrew. And it felt like I was in Tel Aviv. I'm like, you you want me to make them laugh, and then you're going to tell them at the end that I'm Palestinian? Yeah. I'm like, why? She's like, because I want them to understand. They are the ones judging. They are the ones, not you. And I was like, damn, okay. So I did the show, and I got a standing ovation because I thanked them. Because you know what's amazing about Israeli women? They're unfuckwithable. Because Israeli women don't fuck around. They are assholes. <laughs> they are true assholes. You want to be on the right side of some of these Israeli women because they're often fighting themselves. You know what? Some of them are raised with super militant parents. You know, the Israeli community, it has a culture where you know, if you're 17, you're hanging out with your boyfriend. You know, an American old back in the day, you were hanging out with your boyfriend. You know, the boyfriend gave you his Letterman jacket. It was all cute. Israeli culture, they're giving each other the AK-47. It's so militarized. They're like machines. They're they're lacking in humanity often. So sometimes it's fun to hang around with, like, dude, that watches Israeli bitch. She's about to get herself in a fight with, like, a, a former um, Latin king. Watch. Let's just watch the shit. I want to take it back a little bit. I want to, like, like, retrace our steps. Talk to me what about what it's like or what it was like to perform comedy in front of a room full of Israelis. Like, what was that like? I was terrified. I felt like I was performing in the mouth of a lion. I was about to snap clothes. At that period in time, I was I was very scared. But you know what I was more scared of? More than anything? <laughs> not these little bitches. What are they going to do? Shoot me? No. Of not being funny. I was scared of my comedy. Comedy is more terrifying than anything you could think of because it's a battle between your self-worth and yourself. Because when you perform as a comedian, a stand-up comic, it's just you. So if you sink or swim alone, if you win, it's all thumbs up. If you die, that's all on you, bitch. Like, so that's where the terror was. And what, am I going to be funny enough? Do you feel like you had to prove that you were funny enough to them, especially because they were Israeli and especially because you were Palestinian and you had to, like, prove that shit? Absolutely. Wouldn't you? I think part of being Palestinian is proving or feeling like you have this need to prove to the world that you are worthy of existence, that you are worthy of like human, just being treated with human rights and dignity. Because for so long, we had to convince the world that we even existed. And yeah. the idea of sitting in a room, standing in front of a room of like Israelis and going, ha, you just laughed at my jokes for the last hour, bitches what's up um yeah you know yeah. I, I, right. I can't i can't feel like yeah. that wasn't empowering for you and and that that's um, it was exhilarating and i i've performed i've performed in some amazing amazing circles that have taught me who i am and what i'm capable of so it's really really beautiful but i'd have to say that particular that particular scenario can show me also how far i've come 
because what would it be like if Palestinians could still be Palestinians but didn't have to prove it? Imagine the inertia, the energy field would change because when you have to prove something, doesn't it come off like you're guilty of something? But that's what they so want imagine, us to feel. Yeah. They, they want us to feel guilty for being Palestinian. Like there's something wrong with being Palestinian. Like every room, I don't know any room I've ever walked into until, well, any room that's not Arab, right? Any room that's not Palestinian or Arab-based. Any room where I'm the only Palestinian. You feel like there's something wrong. Like people. And where did you get that from? Real talk, real talk. Pause for a minute. Where did you really, really get the programming that there's something wrong with being Palestinian? Did you get it from other humans? Or did you get it from news, media? Growing up in a Palestinian family and being told, okay, guess what? When you go into certain areas and certain groups, don't tell them you're Palestinian because you're going to get a hard time. Really? They're going to mess with you. My dad told me, don't do Palestine work in college. Don't write about Palestine. He's like, it's gonna, they're going to find a way to find mm. out that that's the work that you're doing. And you're going to go on the lists. You're gonna, they're going to watch you. The paranoia that Palestinians have around being Palestinian yes. and existing as Palestinian yes. and saying like, hey, hi world, I am Palestinian. Like just that alone is a dangerous yeah, and that's the thing that makes me sad because that's that is that is a very new phenomenon for younger Palestinians to deal with. That's very heavy. I didn't have to deal with that in college. That's the luxury I had of going to school pre nine eleven. Yeah, and I mean, not that the Mossad wasn't already collecting shit anyway. Don't, don't you know? Not for nothing. Like when I come in, they, they know it. They're like, hey, hey, "How's your uncle doing? How's how's the surgery happen?" You know? Like, yeah. But they know they know everything. So they don't think everything. that they don't. And with that being said, what are you doing with it? And that's why my spirituality has superseded my paranoia. Because the more I learned, you know, real talk. Remember how we talked about earlier yesterday? I was like, with as much as I know, you th- and as aggressive as I am, you think I'd be an atheist. But it, because my, the more I studied, the more I knew, the more I connected the dots, the more paranoid I became. And if it wasn't for my faith in a higher entity, and I kept leaning in that, I could leave paranoia and then thrive the fear the paranoia is like paranoia is like saying and being a paranoid palestinian is like saying hey let's go skydiving you get in the plane and realize you didn't bring your parachute and everyone else is going to jump and it's just going to be you and the pilot so either you look for an extra parachute or you be a little bitch and just get back down with everybody else and, and skip jumping out of the plane so i get i find i i do whatever I can to find and make sure that I got a parachute so I can enjoy my life like everybody else. And then I look and look, God had put Allah's source, whatever, whatever God you believe in, believe in something other than yourself. Because if you're only believing in yourself, then the, then you're only believing in the human finite brain. You're not, you're not able to conceptualize infinity and you've blocked yourself off from any possibility, from any miracles from happening. And you're living this humdrum born fucking life, which will include paranoia. And you end up validating your paranoia. But if you're like, no, 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 I believe in a higher power. My higher power is going to put me where I'm supposed to be and where I'm not supposed to be. Like, you know how much pain I've avoided just because I'm like, you know, God, I trust in you. Guide me where you want me to guide. Let me say what I'm supposed to say. Let me not doubt what I'm supposed to say. So that if I say some shit and I come home, I'm like, eh, I, hey, man, I surrender that shit to God. That's why it's called Islam, surrender. If, if that guy didn't want to fucking hit me, he didn't want to hear that shit. That was some truth. That's on him, but I had to, I had to be a conduit of, of communication and open truth, but that's on him. 
So then I can I can wake up with a clear conscience. And I think a lot of Palestinians, we have paranoia because we no one's ever said to us for real, for real, on a global scale, hey, Palestine, you're right. What people are doing to you, honey, is wrong. Get back to business. I love you. You thriving and surviving and building your companies and living your dream. Be you. Do the, be the best version of yourself that you can. Have faith. And then your paranoia and all that other shit won't dominate you because paranoia is also a dominated conversation of of lack and fear it's a it's a fear cycle all that being said what does palestinian resistance mean to you palestinian resistance means palestinian acceptance so i believe that the palestinian country will be the first global freedom project it'll be the best gift the globe ever got to give palestinians is its own nation because it is so all over everywhere all the time. There is chocolate homeless in Trader Joe's right now across this country. What are we talking about here? What the fuck is that? Why is there dessert hummus? Like, why Why does that exist? That's the best gift ever. Like, when you start seeing jalapeno cheese puffs, that means the Mexican is the American now. Mm. American is a Mexican. When you see chocolate homeless, America is Arab now. We're going to see, you know what I think? You're going to see a, a, a renaissance in the United States akin to the 500 years ago when the renaissance was in Europe. Such beauty is going to transform in this country. I have, that's the faith I have because I study humans. I study history. I study patterns. Anyone that's just angry and only thinking about limitation, that means they haven't learned more. They need to learn more. Read another book. Stop your bitching about Palestine. Like I give a shit. When you hear my, you know where this all comes from? Get my dad talking. Get my father talking. You're gonna be like, oh my god, this is the this is the father Palestinian American father. Everybody wishes they had the way he he talks. The way he's like, wanna help me understand something? Do does it look like I give a shit? Like any question I ask him, it could be, Dad, do you want dinner? Mona, does it look like I give a shit? Um, Baba, I'm just trying to give you dinner. He's the biggest smartass. And I think all of our family has them. Everybody has them. And imagine if we could just celebrate them, accept them, and take life as lightly as an older Palestinian American man. That, <laughs> that all he needs is Marlboros, a cup of coffee with hazelnut from 7-Eleven, and the, the, the Tribune. That guy is happy as a pig and shit. Why did and, you I, just... and he's Muslim, so he's allowed. Why did you just describe my dad? Like, seriously. <laughs> I know, right? All of our dads are like that. Oh, my God. Oh, I love, love it. it. I love it. Um, I'm so sad. This brings us to our last question. Um, Thank you so much for this. What does a liberated Palestine look like to you? Where Palestinian existence is more than just resistance. It just means that Palestinians get to live. So what I see, and I've been saying it for a long time, is I see our land being called the Holy Land, like the Vatican, and it's a protected state. We take these two ugly fucking flags and shove them into one like the South Africans did and have some kid do it on a cartoon drawing contest where there's a council of all the Nobel laureates of peace are on a council where you got to shove, take down the wall, shove these two hairy-ass fucking motherfuckers all together, and then the rise of Palestinian leadership the Israelis are going to have to accept that a free Jewish state is going to exist beautifully thriving within the fabric of the Holy Land in leadership and co-creation by Palestinians. 
they're going to have to accept it because an only Israeli state is only keeping alive the trauma of the war that was just a small blip in history. Yes, it was impactful. And we are here and build that beautiful nation they, they desire, but it's going to be diversity, inclusion, just like they want it to be included in Europe and everywhere else in the world. They have to accept that they aren't the only fucking victim on the planet. Get off their fucking high horse and be a and God and serve it. Wake the fuck up, Israel. We have we have opportunity here. Stop it. We're just perpetuating a fight that isn't ours. Generations on. Enough. I fought to get this kind of clarity. I fought to get 41 and have whatever in my bio is necessary for me to make that statement so that I could give a shit what anyone says back. No, I, I said my perspective. And if someone wants to come tit for tat with me, I actually don't engage because I say, you know what? Your point is valid. And I always disarm people when I say, no, I do I feel you, bro? They're like, but, but I'm like, no, no, I don't, I don't go tit for tat. I feel you because what you're saying to me is valid from your vantage point. Go. What do you want to say? I think there are a lot of different viewpoints on what a free Palestine means for each Palestinian. And I yeah. think that what being Palestinian for each Palestinian varies as well. And I think that because we are so fragmented and so dispersed all over the world, making us so diverse in our experiences, that understanding how we exist, how we resist, and how we go beyond that and we just liberate ourselves is always going to look different depending on who you speak to. It's all based on which fragments, which generation, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're Christian or Muslim or any other religion, whether you identify with a certain political party, whether you, you know, have a certain economic privilege, right? All of these create a different version of a Palestinian. And as we start to unpack that, and as we start to understand how we all connect back to our Palestinian roots and what a free Palestine looks like to us, and we have those conversations, that's when we start doing liberation work. I think that if a successful colonization is a divide and conquer, then a successful liberation or an answer for liberation is to connect us. And so you're idea of what being a Palestinian woman means to you, your idea of a free Palestine, your idea of resistance, existence, all of it, it's valid. It's needed. We need every voice. And if you need to scream it, scream it. That is, if that's how you express yourself, no one is there to tell you it is wrong. Amen. What a great way to wrap up. Yeah, that's, that was flow. That was your truth. That's the lifeline of this podcast so get it girl that was beautiful like i closed my eyes and i and i just sat in that i sat in that it was so beautiful thank you so much for being a part of this podcast and, and having this conversation with me and allowing others to hear your voice uh, and to hear your perspective on what it means to be a palestinian woman living in 2020 during COVID-19 and <laughs> your Thank journey you so and your journey. And um, I appreciate you. Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for our conversation today. Remember, 
Each of our experiences are valid and each of us are needed. We each carry a bit of Palestine in us. No matter where we reside in the world, we are all a part of the collective. Until liberation and return. I'm